You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for hunting and shooting in the great outdoors. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today. You will learn valuable tips and tricks that you can use on your next hunting trip into the field to make you a more successful hunter. Now here's your host, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode three, Hunting with Tom Varney. Uh, If you guys don't know, before we get into the interview, we are on Facebook, so you can uh, go on Facebook and type in the Australian Hunting Podcast and we'll come up. And we're also available on iTunes as well, so you can subscribe, you know, put it on your iPod or even your iPhone and listen to it while you're at work. Uh, I want to thank a lot of the people that have actually been listening to the podcast. Uh, We've had good numbers and good downloads with our first two episodes. So uh, hopefully with Tom today, that will uh, continue with our uh, people listening in. And obviously it's showing that a lot of the content we are putting up uh, is really hitting home with hunters and and they're enjoying it. So some of you guys actually might ask who Tom Varney is. Tom was raised up in a family of hunters and his dad was an avid hunter who loved the bush. Tom's uncles were also keen shooters, as were their fathers. So I guess you could say the desire to hunt was in Tom's blood. Tom called in his first fox over 50 years ago and loves hunting just like his dad. Tom also passed down that hunting tradition to his son Thomas. Tom has also made several hunting DVDs with his son and some of those DVD titles include Fox Fever Volume 1 and 2, Out Foxed, Fox Frenzy Volume 1 and 2, Hunting Wild Dogs and Hunting Queensland's Red Deer. Tom has gladly taken time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about hunting and what you can do to be a more successful hunter. You can check out Tom on the internet at TomVarneyFoxShooting.com. So without further ado, let's bring Tom on the show. Tom, thanks for coming on the Australian Hunting Podcast, and it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Carly. No worries. So um, what we might normally we start off with is uh, just give us a bit of personal background. You know, How did you get into hunting? Well, as you virtually have mentioned before, uh, it was in my blood right from the start. I mean, as a youngster, probably around, I suppose, seven or eight, I used to be out with my dad um, getting a bit of wood and uh, the old mum used to come along in those days and I was always looking, even from that age, I'm looking to try and get a bit of a steer of the old ute or or try and drive it or some something like that. But it came to mind really not long back how I was sort of... Um, lured into going out after wood because I always wanted to go and shoot a rabbit after it, see, so the conditions uh, that my dad made was, well, you can only take the rifle or the shotgun, whatever, well, the shotgun was a bit early for me, I was on the rifle first, I was about 10 or so when I got in the shotgun, but we could only take that if uh, to shoot a rabbit if I was to help him get the wood first, the wood had to be loaded on the ute before there's any hunting, so uh, I was keen to, to get the wood, I suppose, but more keener to shoot. Or to chase a rabbit, I even chased them myself. Can you tell us, like, how since you know, say you were a young boy, um, you know, I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, the laws are a lot stricter these days. But how, I mean, how do you think it's changed, say, over, you know, the last, you know, what is it, forty or fifty years since you first started? And you know, do you think the laws have changed for the better, or how would you sort of, you know, think it's changed? Oh, there's no comparison, really. I think that most people in my era, see, I've, I've uh, up in, I've gone seventy years of age now, and. Uh, a lot of years have gone by, but there was no consideration. Everyone had a gun. You carried your gun, you know, uh, over your shoulder, put it across. I first used to put it across the handlebars of the bike, and I'd ride down to the swamp, which was probably, you know, I suppose a, a K and a half or 
or even um, oh well maybe four k's a different place that I went to and you'd wave to the people or they'd give you a wave when you went past and always yell out if you know if you got a if you got a spare duck you can drop one in here um firearms were not even an issue everyone had one in the back of their it was either in the back of their vehicle or on the table at home yeah no as i said it has definitely changed and I'm sure, you know, it's uh, interesting how, like, you know, if you were doing that these days, I think, you know, some poor little kid that you know, might want to get out shooting would be, you know, arrested for doing something like that these days. So I guess it has changed over that time. And, yeah, so, I mean, tell the listeners, how did you actually get into, uh, you know, fox shooting specifically? Was that is that one of your you know, favourite game or? Well, my dad, uh, he often shared, you know, it was, well, I can remember the, um, the start of the Depression or, into it when mum and dad used to be going around the neighbourhood trying to to exchange a bit of butter for a bit of sugar and so on and so on uh, because depression days were were pretty hard and my dad apparently used to go away at, at, uh, at times from home and be away for weeks trying to um, to earn a shilling as the saying went then to support and rabbit trapping was one of those ways uh, that he had or it was a means of earning some money uh, I'd say even to eat, and he would go on to properties, and uh, he'd be away for some weeks at a time. And um, what he used to do then was, was when they were setting traps, they had to, to call the foxes out, whistle the foxes up, get rid of all the foxes before they could start trapping. And the reason was, of course, that as soon as they set out um, to, to put their traps out, uh, and they caught a, a rabbit, uh, the fox would immediately be in in no time. He'd hear it in the in the bush where they were, where they were trapping, and of course they only have a pair of legs left in the trap in the morning. So um, this was quite obviously that they that the foxes had to be taken out first. So fox whistle was something that I always seen on the table or seen every time we went out. It was always in Dad's pocket, and uh, so I started, you know, catching on to how easy it was to call up a fox. But to them. At that time, it was a means of not so much the sport that we enjoy today, but it was a matter of survival. Had to get rid of them. They were a pest or there was no rabbits, no rabbits, no food. So that was something that intrigued me. But then I went on to, to hunting the fox and, um, and on kangaroo drives. And so I, I, I was brought up with it. Was there a bounty back in those days for fox skins? Uh, not that I know of. Rabbit skins, I believe, that, you know, they were getting trippings and sixpence and that for skins and uh and of course that's when they trapped them and uh that was a bit of money for them but of course you can't compare the, the dollars today like like you'd go to the pictures and you'd have sixpence and you'd bring the change home so um <laughs> that's uh that's a big you know food was the prices and that you can't even compare it jason today you can't there's no comparison uh, I guess some people I know that they that they'd wish they'd grown up in that era. A lot of hunters, you know, I, I probably would have. It probably would have been a lot more. I mean, I'm glad I'm able to do it these days too. But I think it would have been interesting to grow up back in that era. Uh, by far, I don't think you can compare it. Uh, a lot of people in and around my age and even younger, they say, "Well, we've we've seen the best of it." It's very sad today that uh, the children don't have the opportunity. I mean, we was always out. I was out before I was shooting. I was out just chasing rabbits and used to take out a, an old um, pick handle and you'd walk around the paddocks and you would you'd find the rabbits in squats and uh, you'd go around and uh, you'd walk in and go, you know, go around them in circles and eventually getting closer and closer and then you'd whack them. Well, that was to get rabbits to eat. And then I found out when I got a little bit older and got a pea rifle 
that the great sport was then that you walk through uh, just the open paddocks and as you come across them in the squat, you'd walk around and then you'd clap your hands and away they go and you would shoot them on the run. So that was the probably the start of the um, the greatest sport that I really loved was the was the skill, the challenge that I had. And uh, I could shoot the, the rabbit on the run and then I got a, got the slug gun and began to shoot um, everything I could throw in the air. I'd throw tins in the air and shoot them. I'd put the gun on the ground, throw the tin in the air, pick up the gun. Yeah, I used to love that. I'd done that with a rifle, P-rifle too. And uh, yeah, I'd done a lot of that. I used to shoot the pennies and halfpennies in the air, throw them in the air and shoot them. And uh, Sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, who came up with the idea to actually, I mean, start you know, filming your shooting and making it into DVDs? Well, it's strange when we come back up, up to Queensland. When I say come back up to Queensland, um, we come up to Queensland in 1978 and Thomas was born in 1976. And prior to that, um, I had a bit of a problem early in my life uh, or when I got up just into the age of being married um, and I had a bit of a downside and uh, uh, I didn't think I'd ever shoot again. I had a problem with the law and... Uh, like a lot of people do, and um, that's why I've written, you know, several books and that. But it took me away from the shooting, and we had three, three daughters, and long come the fourth daughter, and uh, and we were sort of settled for that. And then my wife said, "Well, it'd be nice to have a boy." And anyhow, along come the fifth one, and I said, "I don't mind whether it's a boy or a girl." And lo and behold, it was Thomas. Well, when Thomas came along, uh, the only boy, and um, the four girls. And then when he got to about six to seven, he started making some inquiries, looked around, seen an odd photo of two of his dad and seen some photos of me with, um, you know, an odd trophy or two that I shot when I was trap shooting and started to inquire. And um, I I became a bit interested again. And we were watching a program um, on the television and it was calling up wild dogs. And it was down in New South Wales. And I took a look at that and took a look at Thomas and I said, your father could do that. He said, could you, Dad? Yeah. So uh, it was no time after that we came up and we actually moved from Beanley and we moved up here to West where we are now. And um, I quickly went out and met some of the people, the farmers around, made myself known. And uh, Thomas would go to school and come home and I spent about, uh, the first 15 years being here, I probably spent, um, I would probably just say that I was out nearly every day. I was actually addicted to it and I was out chasing dogs and then I started taking Thomas when he got to about eight or nine, took him away duck shooting and uh, by that time we were shooting dogs. I was calling up wild dogs and uh, I took over about 600 around Esk here of wild dogs and then I took Thomas away duck shooting and... Um, but I still found it difficult to have the same um, fervour as I did when I was younger. But when Thomas then got into the age of 14 and 15 and was able to start shooting himself um, and we got rifles, that's when, that's when it really set in. And I found out that Thomas, I used to give him my automatic um, uh, shotgun when we were shooting ducks. And then I'd done what my father used to do. He used to give everything to me. He would even give me his gun and stand back and watch me shoot. And he got more pleasure out of that. And I could say today that when I watched Thomas, even duck shooting, and knew the the, uh, experience that I'd had that he never had, he was obviously, uh, Jason, he was just obviously a natural. And then when we went away fox shooting, and I seen that 
when I called up Foxes, uh, I had very little to say to him how to hold the rifle. It was just, it was just natural. And he started shooting them on the run, and um, it was just, I was so excited about it. So. Yeah, I can I can imagine that does actually feel good, doesn't it? You know, I don't know, you know, you've you've passed on a tradition like uh, down to your son, and just watching him probably would have been an achievement in itself. It was, but see, he never had the experience. I mean, I was years. I was brought up from a youngster, lot you know, younger than what he was when I was out at the bush. And then I used to fire off sometimes 500 pr no uh, 22s a day, um, just in trick shooting throwing uh, bullet shells nut in the air and shooting them. and But my son had none of this practice. He'd never shot a rabbit on the run. He'd never never seen a rabbit. And uh, But to go out and then to see when we went out shooting and there were rabbits around, he would just shoot them with the rifle. And if, if they run, he shot them. And then with the high power, the 223, uh, he would shoot. Uh, the foxes would come up or they'd bolt across the paddock and he would just put up the rifle and shoot them. So... He just had this natural ability. Yeah. So, I mean, um, do, do you hunt any, I mean, obviously we know you hunt, uh, you know, the dogs and the foxes, but do you do uh, any other types of hunting or is that, you know, you mainly shoot deer, goats, etc. or? Oh, well, I've done a lot. I Back in the 60s, um, I, I went into New South Wales and uh, with a couple of friends and uh, we were on properties in New South Wales that, uh, that no one else had ever been on and we travelled 600 miles to get there and, uh, the introduction that I had, I was 20 years of age or, or 19 years of age, I think, when I first went up to Wyvernow in New South Wales. And um, a couple of friends of mine and ourselves, we took out over 300 pigs in a week. And um, we just found out that this was a like a bonanza. Well, no, Thomas, I did take him back there after 30 years of me being there first. And uh, we reminisced together and I took him to the old hut where I actually stayed and uh, we went out pig shooting and he really loved that. We, um, it was much harder to get onto them then and the owner at that time said, well, we were welcome to come on there. But from the time we actually left, uh, he started, he realised he had a lot of pigs on the property. So he started um, asking people to come in and clean them up. And it, uh, eventually I think the people pay and I probably think they still do to this day. They started paying to go there. And um, but when I went back with Thomas, he said we were welcome. He said his father would uh, would have us stay in the in the hut rather than camp down the back. And we'd done that. And his dear old dad was still alive. And this man that was now the son, when we went there, he was 14 years of age. Well, now, of course, he was 45 years old when I took Thomas back. And um, But I've never been back since then. But um, I believe he's still there. But that was the pig hunting. And uh, we got into the fox, shot a lot of foxes whistled them up at night time and spotlighted them and Thomas just loved it. He just done it the same way as I did. Yeah. So I mean what what would you say out of uh, which is your yeah which type of hunting is your favourite? Well I'd been into the into the goat hunting too and I went into the, like the wild pigs and I think that at the time I was shooting pigs it was uh, I was captivated by that. And um, then I got into shooting a you know like a few goats. Well there was nothing so much in that I didn't think. Um, but the deer was interesting. It was your skill against theirs. That was quite interesting, and Thomas enjoyed that. We've got one uh, a deer hunting DVD, and uh, he was very skillful in that area too. He learned how to how to um, hunt, not just go into the bush and uh, and shoot. 
So that was very good. But I would have to say the Wild Dogs was next. It actually captivated me. I was hooked on that. And the skill to try and hunt them was um, a lot more needed than just whistling up foxes. But that was very exciting. But I don't think you can beat the good old fox whistling. It's something that that uh, all the family can be interested in. From the youngsters on, they, they go out as a family unit. They dry foxes, and um, that's a good way of culling them. But the whistling is something that I see. And even when we're, I was in Sydney there with Thomas some time back, it wasn't hard to find quite a few men that were top, um, you know, um, big game hunters from probably all over Australia and over the world. You'd find them gathered around our, our fox whistling and our wild dog DVDs and watching with great interest, uh, you know, what we're doing. So it is a great sport. Not saying anything wrong with the big game hunting, but it's never been my interest. I have seen a couple of you, you, you when you're hunting up and howling up the dogs, and you know, I just thought that quite interesting. I mean, I've started off in foxing and sort of haven't given the wild dogs any consideration. So, um, yeah, just uh, definitely some interesting stuff. So if I had to put you on the spot, which uh, of your hunting DVDs would you say was your favourite? Um, yeah, look, I, I've i done one, actually. It was called um, Fox Whistling. I don't know whether you mentioned that one, but we've got eight current. DVDs and we've got six on uh, whistling foxes, one one current on wild dogs and one current on red deer. I have done three wild dog videos, but I've got the last one is on DVD and it's uh, all broadcast quality. But look, I think that the dogs was was excellent, uh, but the fox shooting one that I perhaps would say was done was called fox whistling. I done it all on my own. Um, I had to go away on my own, which I'd done quite a lot of tripping on my own, and I would take the camera and the gun. But I called up about 84 foxes in about four days, and um, it was in the August, and I started to mate. And whereas the sad part was in some ways that I was only able to get one or two that you could see shot on screen, I had to call them up, let go uh, the camera, and then pick up uh, the shotgun at that time, and I'd shoot them as they run off. But uh, it was, it's been one of the best sellers because it was a time when I called up eight from the one spot using the Tenderfield Fox Whistle. But, um, yeah, I think doing that all on my own. But then so I got a bit old and seeing the, the help that Thomas was able to give me. And then also, as you would see in some of the later ones, I have different various friends uh, that I've done this hunting with. Peter Kennedy, an excellent friend. He fitted in very much like Thomas. He woke up what I needed for the camera, the position that he needed to be in, and when uh, to shoot the fox when I when I whistled it in. So to whistling foxes with a camera is much different, like Thomas knows as well as I do. If we were just to leave the camera home, we both used our rifles, we would cull a lot more a lot more foxes and I would enjoy that. But I enjoy with the camera because I still live it every time I look at them. So it's still alive, like that trip is still still alive. Yeah, no, exactly. So, I mean, um, when you're calling in, was it? Did you and Tom, uh, sorry, Thomas, take uh, uh, turns in, you know, filming, or were you after a while you just became the the, the resident filmer? <laughs> yes, that's the way it is, Jason. Yeah, I, I do most of the filming. Um, Thomas has done it at times with me, but I think because of my my um, my passion for it, and it's not an easy job, and perhaps I could have a better tripod than what I've got, but. Uh, 
I, I'm very particular. It's as I say, it, it really is my hobby now. And um, but as I said, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg had to start somewhere, didn't he? So yeah, well, I think that uh, I really enjoy being able to call the foxes up and um, and watch Thomas shoot them and have them on the camera, and then you know, putting them together is a is a challenge. Everything's got to be documented when I go to do it, and I've got to I've got to get a script done for it. So. There are quite a few people making, I'm not the only one that does fox shooting videos, but um, I think you've only got to have a look at YouTube and see some of our our particular clips and see some of the others, um, some of the homemaders and uh, quality and steadiness of the camera and that, it sort of, that's a bit of a bit of a challenge to us and I think a bit of pride with us that we've got good stuff to present. Well, that's half the fun sometimes, isn't it? Like, yeah, sometimes you can't, it's not as if you can repeat the shot, is it? Once it's there, it's that's pretty much it. You've got to go with it, I think. Yeah, well, you know, I know that I, I do a lot of enjoyment out of that, even that, like, I take several friends away with me at times, and um, as you see on our DVDs, I've, I've got some friends come out, and I enjoy being with them, and um, to be able to bring the foxes up, and of course, these people themselves are, are well able to whistle the foxes too, I mean, Peter Kennedy, our friend, uh, he does a lot of that on his own, and uh, he's very capable, and uh, he's got a lot of expertise, I mean, I think him and Thomas would have a, it would be a great, um, you know, between them that they both can handle the rifle. You know, Peter's very skillful in that area too. So uh, let's say, so I know you obviously you like hunting foxes. So say when you're hunting dogs, uh, how does that differ from, say, hunting foxes? Is it very similar to calling in? And also, you know, how do we know, like, there's either foxes or wild dogs in the area so we know if we're going to call, you know, that, we, that, we, that we'd start to be successful? Well, for a start, I think around that, the area here where we live, it's uh, not hard to know where there's dogs, uh, and it's getting that way all over Australia now. I have that many calls every, every day. I, if I was 30 years younger, it'd be a dream for me uh, to be out doing what I used to do, but uh, age has caught up with me a bit. But, um, yeah, it's much more harder with the dogs. It's much more skillful. You, you won't shoot as many dogs as you do foxes. Uh, we've had time we've called up packs, Thomas and I, have literally had two and three packs coming at us at once. Uh, and I'd seen Thomas even one evening stand behind me when he could hear three, all these dogs tearing forward and fighting and howling. And and uh, as they got closer and closer, I even seen Thomas stand behind me. Um, and, well, actually, that particular time when three packs come up, one pack came round behind us and smelled us and they uh, really kicked up a commotion and the others all stopped. I think they spoke to one another, which I believe dogs do, and um, they let the others know that there was something wrong. But, you know, Thomas from that time on, first he begged me that I wouldn't go up and stay on my own of a night time. I used to spend a lot of nights up the bush on my own, you know. I was, as I say, I was hooked to it, Jason. I, I'd be sitting up at midnight uh, with a bit of light and a bit of moon and calling the dogs and waiting there just on you know, all night and wait there for the daylight time to come. And um, but I often thought then, you know, that you're sort of on their territory and in their territory and what may have happened, you know, it's, um, it was not a really wise thing to be doing on my own like that. I mean, you've only got to have your neighbour's dog get a bit angry and you go in next door and you bite you. So when you get on there uh, in their territory and there's a pack of them and you're especially at night time and, um, yeah, I looked back and thought, wouldn't do that again. 
Yeah, so speaking that, say, do you, you know, prefer whistling foxes or do you, have you ever used, like, dogs to drive them out of the, you know, the creeks or, say, the uh, blackberry? Uh, we've done all that as youngsters. I mean, that was one of the ways. I would probably have shot more more foxes than my dear old dad would have in the long run because uh, they just shot just to get rid of them because they were, you know, they wanted to trap rabbits or they'd done it for a bit of sport. But... Um, it's just strange. Whatever I've done, I've gone into it boots and all. You know, uh, when I was, um, I often say that when I was uh, out shooting, whatever I'd done, I'd done it properly. If I was having a bit of a barney with someone, I had to win. Or if I was playing football, I wanted to win. I always excelled in what I'd done. And uh, some things were good and some things were bad. But I didn't like any defeat. And when, it, you know, dogs was no different. When I realised there was dogs and there was a, a real challenge, a bigger challenge with the dogs than foxes. I must admit that, the bigger challenge. When you're calling inside the dogs or the foxes, what was your, you know, your weapons of choice as in whistles? Were you, you know, I, I know you said the tenor field, and I think in one of your DVDs too, I saw you had the big uh, howling, looked like a big howling comb. Was that sort of, yeah, w- what did you actually use? Oh, I've, used, I've got a cow horn there, Thomas, and I've got a cow horn, but I actually went out with a megaphone. I was calling dogs in from, you know, they could hear me at three and four k's away, and, um, Instead of moving around from location to location, I'd be on my own and uh, carry all the gear, camera. Now I had, used to have the little microphone, and um, I had the owner of the property. He said he was, and he was four and a half k's away. He said, "You're out again tonight, mate." He said, "How'd you go?" I said, "How'd you know I was out, Cole?" He said, "I heard you calling," and he was back at he was you know over four and a half k's away. But um, yeah, I found out I could call dogs up with that, uh, with being able to howl. The howling was probably um, better, I felt, than the predator call. But the predator call was handy when there was packs of dogs because they, you know, especially le- um, young dogs, they discerned that there was an animal in distress and they wanted to be in on it, you know. And um, so they'd come tearing in from all quarters. And uh, that was interesting in some ways. But I called up a lot of single dogs on their own just for the howl. And I got to pick up the ideas of um, they'd stop and uh, sometimes give a little... Uh, a little wolf that I began to pick up, and they were they were stopping and giving that indication that where am I? And uh, and I'd answer the same, and then then I I eventually would pick them up and find out that they might be I don't know uh, 800 k's away, uh, 800 k's, 800 meters away, and um, uh, when I could eventually see them in the in the scope or the binoculars. I just sort of coaxed them in, give that little bit of a call, and it was just incredible then to to see how they um, responded. So that was a real challenge. Yeah, no, it sounds interesting. So, um, you know, as I said, just say, you know, a, a new person's gone into, say, calling an area for Fox and... Um, obviously, over the years, what are we looking for? I mean, if I go into a, an area, how do I know there's Fox there? What would I, what would I look for? Well, I suppose when we go onto the properties, we know that there are Foxes in the area because... One of the things I might have uh, mentioned before to you uh, earlier, not on this program, but when I'm talking to you, uh, that to see road kills on the road is a good sign that this fox is active. But the other is that when you go to the properties, the, the owner, you keep in touch with him and he is our best guide. I'll ring the owner and uh, he say, yeah, they're everywhere. They're, uh, they're mating, they're barking, they're doing this, they're doing that. Um, or he'll say, yeah, look, things are a bit quiet, haven't seen much around, depends on the time of the, the year. But when we go to places 
we know where, that this fox is there because um, the owner's having trouble with the lambs and same with the dogs. We go there and they're having the, having the calves taken. So we, we, we really know that there's foxes. There's, there would be very little places, Jason, uh, in New South Wales, not so much here in Queensland. As I said before to you when I was talking on the phone some time back, we go into New South Wales, probably travel anywhere from two to 300 to 500 k's away go down into where the foxes really are. And when we go to Victoria, it's the home of them. And uh, knowing the old home grounds, uh, when we go down there, well, we, we go straight into the fox areas. But um, in Queensland, it's different. But foxes are pretty well everywhere. One time we had a conversation a few days ago, and I said, you know, how important, you know, is camouflage when hunting? I mean, either the fox, say, or the wild dogs. Do you think it's important? Well, it is. Uh as I would have said to you too, I promote camouflage. Uh, I take care to try and camouflage myself, but I still believe that movement is probably one of our, our worst enemies, apart from smell. But if you've got the smelling right, because that can change with the wind, but if you've got the smelling right, you're, you've got a, a great start. But then you've got, uh, unless you've got eyes in the back of your head, you've got both foxes and dogs can come around because of their their way of trying to work out where you are. They're going around behind you to get a smell. We take a bit of powder, you know, to see where the wind's blowing, but they don't have a powder, but they go around, they, they know, they can smell, and they go around. Sometimes they'll go around behind us. They'll watch us moving. They'll watch us put the whistle in their mouth, uh, or the dog will uh, have a listen to us howling, and he's around behind us. As Thomas said to me many times, his dogs will see us, Dad, before we see them. And we've proved that. We've looked around. As, we've had dogs come up and run through the hide we've been behind. But they are, I have turned around and seen dogs just trotting away from behind us. They've gone right around and watched us, heard us, smelled us, and we've not, in, not even known. Yeah. So, I mean, say when you're calling uh, and, you know, just say you've set up your camera, um, do you normally have a pretty good idea, say, either where the dog or the fox is going to come from? Do you normally, like, say, set up in front of a creek and you've got a pretty good idea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got a good idea where they're coming from. Yeah, I can pretty well, some of the areas that I've been hunting for years, I can tell you where they are. Uh, that's probably in our favour. But I go into new properties and, um, yeah, <laughs> we don't have it all together. Sometimes we have them you know, have them come running in behind us and uh, and we sort of blow it a bit. But, uh, but generally speaking, we know I've got a pretty good idea where the, where the especially by going into properties where I've been, you know, in previous hunting trips. But, um, uh, yeah, you get some sort of an idea, a bit of a natural instinct as to where they might be when you go to the area where the, you, you learn to know where the different times, like cold, frosty mornings, you're getting into winter, uh, you'll very seldom find them up, right up in the scrub. They'll be laying out in the paddock somewhere or in a tussock somewhere or out in the open, the same as we would. We always out this morning sitting out the front in, in the sun. I could have been around the back here, but there was no sun. So I was around here trying to get warm, and animals are no different. Foxes are very much the same. You'll see them sunning themselves. But in the winter time, you'll find them the opposite. You'll find them back into places where they're out of the wind and uh, perhaps back up in the ferns and up the side of the ridges or up where it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be hot in the summertime. You won't find them laying out in the sun then as much. You'll find them back up in the shade, down in the, down in the, uh, in the creeks, 
in the water. In wintertime, I know it's become increasingly harder to, you know, either call them into distress calls with the tenor field because, you know, a lot of them are, you know, starting into the mating phase. But uh, do you find it doesn't matter when you hunt them or do you try and hunt in, say, the summertime in the warmer periods? No, it doesn't really matter to me, I suppose, because I'm retired now, I can do it any time. But uh, if I was just to talk naturally speaking, I would say there are, there are really better times than others. Well, in the hunting time, around August, I'd was when the time of the months of the year that I called up that 84. Now, they were mating around that time. So when I called up foxes, I usually had two coming up. But the spotlight when they're, when they're mating is, in my view, hopeless because they're not interested. They're running around the paddocks, uh, more interested in what they're out there for, their mating. And uh, they're running around and they don't take very little notice of a whistle. But it was just strange that in that time I called up the, those foxes, because it was um, uh, the mating time and they were sort of in pairs together and I knew where the foxes were. It wasn't so much uh, I would spot a lot of foxes that particular time. I said, I see they're out in the daytime even running around looking. So I could spot where they were and because I would see them in a, in a, um, or up a galley somewhere or up the top or on the other side of the paddock, crossing the paddock, uh, I would sort of then try and set up the camera and then I would coax them if I could, if I could, um, you know, use the whistle to get them to me because I wanted to call them up close enough to, to video them and, sh and to shoot them. You know, usually that's not always always the way. When they're mating, it is different to call them up, for sure. Sometimes a lot of, a lot of people don't have any, any, uh, any response at all when foxes are mating. Yeah, so when you say, um, you know, like you're calling them in, do you often find... Um, they'll hang up or do they, are they, depending on the time of year, will they just charge the call or? I think our problem is knowing that if anyone else has been on the property and generally speaking, they haven't on a lot of the properties we go to, but even the farmer, he doesn't realise that, uh, yes, he has let Joe blow in, but he knows that they don't shoot the way we do and he just sort of doesn't even count it as anyone coming in there. A lot of farmers think, well, you know, we're the only ones that can clean up foxes. But they don't realise that if uh, if someone goes in there and they and they don't succeed, they perhaps whistle or they what we call educate the foxes. Uh, I can tell if a fox has been educated, and uh, you'll go to call him up and uh, he'll start siding around you, or he'll hear a particular whistle, um, like the fox whistle. If you use the tenderfield fox whistle or the button whistle, uh, he'll just prick his ears and bolt. So then we we try other. Uh, other predator called one that he may not have heard. I think I mentioned that on on um, fox whistling. I called up a up a fox, or, or I tried to call him up, and uh, this fox was um, he just looked around and walked away, and uh, as if to say, "Well, I know who you are." And I followed that fox around for quite a while, and I come across him asleep in the in the creek. He he knew that I was up the creek earlier, but he just went back to sleep. As I, as I said on the on the uh, on the DVD, he just said, "Well, you know, are oh, you again?" Because he was probably knew that because I'd been going there for years. But then I uh, I walked up and of course I walked right onto him and then I just yelled out to him, "Hey!" And because he jumped up and I shot him. But I tried another predator call and that's that's that often fools them. Then they they're used to the one whistle. Like like if I'd been calling with the with the predator uh, with the um, the button whistle or the tender field, and then I tried using another different sort of call. They often responded then, but they 
you know, they're like you and I. They get to know, like you get to know the time the neighbour comes home next door when he drives in the driveway, especially if he's had a few sherbets. You say, that's Harry again, pull him in. So I'm talking hypothetically, but you know what I mean? The foxes get the same. They get to know if you're there. We come in different different ways sometimes. Sometimes we don't go anywhere probably for two years because we know it's been well shot out. So what's uh, uh, when you're hunting, say, the wild dogs and the foxes, uh, what sort of firearms and calibres are you using and what's your preference? Well, our preference, of course, is the little is the little 223. We've both got the little lightweight ones. The lightweight rifle, in my estimation, is far superior if you want to shoot animals on the run because you handle the rifle, it doesn't handle you. Early in life, I used to get a nice heavy rifle and I'd hang it on the wall and hardly ever use it. I used to like looking at it. And uh, if it's heavy and you're trying to you know, carry it through the bush and then a fox runs off or a dog runs across the paddock, uh, for you to try and shoot it on the run, you've got more chance with a very light rifle where you handle it, it doesn't handle you. You've got control of it. But a lot of people, even if, you, if you've got a fox or a dog sitting out a little bit and you've got to hold it freestand, you know, you've got no tree to lean against, uh, a light rifle there is, is uh, a lot easier to handle than a heavier rifle. So I like the little the little Remingtons, little lightweight in that 223. It covers both dogs and foxes. Do you keep the fox skins or what's the best sort of uh, area for shot placement, let's say, I mean, even if someone's not going to keep the skins, what what generally part of the fox or dog are you aiming for when you normally shoot them? Well, we've done all this. Well, I've done all the skin bit. Thomas and I did that when he started off with me. He was wanting to get the skins and that. We done them and scunned them and what have you. But uh, I don't I don't worry at all about it with the skins now. Uh, but if I was shooting for the fox and... Um, of course, using the rifle we use is no good for skinning. I mean, you blow you blow a hole in as big as your fist. But um, I used to use the you know the little 22 or little Magnum if you wanted it for skins. Um, but I just find that if you use the a rifle that's got too much punch, it, it ruins the skin. But as I say, I don't worry about the skins. But to shoot a fox, if he comes out and sits in front of me, I usually put it straight on his chest. If he's side on and looks back, I'll usually put it in the shoulder. And, of course, if a fox runs off, you look for the big part. And that's uh, – you don't have much time to pick this, but you just learn to look for the big part. As I heard a friend say to me one time, where do you shoot when they're running off? And uh, he said, I suppose you just look for the big part. I said, yeah, that's right, Gordon. And uh, it's no specific no – specific, you know. But if you've got a rifle like the two two three, uh, and the bullets we use, uh, the ballistic – Top say uh, you, you can hit them anywhere and you've pretty well got the fox. It'll blow that part of the body away. I mean, do you remember what sort of grains you were using in bullets uh, size or weight? or? Yeah, probably 55 grain I've, I've liked using just for the fox that we use and the dogs at the same time. That seems to be quite sufficient. Yeah, you're like me. I tend to use the uh, 50 or 50 or 55 grain uh, hollow point or ballistic tips. They're pretty lethal, yeah. Yeah, they are. So, uh, you know, say the foxes and dogs, they've got a number of senses. Uh, you know, in order, what, I mean, in your experience, what's the most important, the smell, the vision or the hearing? Well, all's probably important, but the smell is probably one of the things that I, uh, I major in. Um, I stop when I get out of the car and check the wind, especially going on to a property that we've known because sometimes we've got to come into the extreme other end uh, of the property and uh, as I may have mentioned once before, that if you've been shooting foxes from a particular gully or a, 
um, or a ridge and you know there's foxes there, you can come in this way, you leave your vehicle walking, but sometimes we can't do that. We've got to walk maybe two k's right around the other side uh, to come in the other end. And, but a lot of people don't think of that. They just walk straight to the spot where they shot the last fox. They know there's foxes there. They've got a fend when they say, look, this is where we got them last time. But they're only wasting their time if the wind has changed. And so we're very particular with the, um, the way the wind is blowing. Of course, noise is another thing. I've had people wanting to talk to you when you're, you're walking in, in to uh, you know, set up to, to whistle up a fox. And um, noise is something, you know, fox will pick that up easily. I find sometimes too people are, you know, especially with hunting foxes, I'm very, you know, when I'm going into a stand, I'm very particular about noise. And, I mean, some people I've been with, don't, I don't think appreciate, you know, that, you know, you can't move around a lot and you can't be, you know, sort of yelling yelling and, um, you know, making lots of noise. They don't really respond to that. You need to be sort of, you know, uh, not moving, um, you know, and just blending into your surroundings. Yeah, I'm constantly putting up my finger if I've got friends and just, you know, up to the, my lips like that, just uh, quiet because um, I know that's very important because you might walk into a place and foxes and Thomas and I have been quietly into a spot and we blew the whistle and there's been a fox jumped up within 15 metres away, you know. Um, that's that's quite common in some of the areas we go into, but because of the camera, we try and keep back a little bit so as it gives those people that uh, a good view of when we call them in. But if I really wanted to shoot foxes, I wouldn't walk into the same areas or in the same positions as I do with the camera. Like I've said to Thomas, if we really wanted, we'd go into right in amongst them and uh, with a shotgun and just call them in and have a lot of lot of sport, a lot of fun. But uh, I shoot for the camera mainly, and then people can see um, what we do. So we capture it and keep it. But yeah, I wouldn't go to the same extreme as what I do with the camera. No, I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, shotgun, Tom. Uh, there's nothing more fun, is it, than sort of, you know, flushing some foxes. I've only been out to flush foxes like once, but I think that was, I mean, other than calling, calling's my, I really like calling, but, uh, you know, definitely flushing them out from a bush, you know, is, mate, there's nothing like it when the action's on, isn't it? Uh, well, that's what I enjoyed when I was about 12 years of age with my dad and 13 and 14 years of age. It was every Sunday. We was all packed the gear and um, out for the kangaroo drive and the fox drive and uh, you got the farmers around. Nothing like the uh, amount of people I see today with some of the um, organised uh, shoots that they have, which is really great. I, I agree 100%. Good way to clean up the foxes and a great day out for the family. But we never had the population of people. We had the population of foxes, okay, and the, and the, and the kangaroos, but it was more serious. You had to clean up the roos or they were eating the crops out. You had to get the fox, they're killing the lambs. So it was more specific. The farmers arranged for their lads or their neighbours to come together and, and they would do all the beating and, oh, the excitement of waiting the other end for the, for the foxes to come through was, was wonderful. It's a young lad, 12 and 13, 14 years of age. I just love to live for it. Uh, speaking of that, say uh, dogs, you know, compared to foxes, are they very similar in senses? I mean, especially with the scent, do you really have to get downwind with the dogs as well? I think the dog's a bigger challenge, yeah. I've always said the dog's was a challenge to me. I've always liked things in life that's been a challenge to me. And I think the dogs and hunting's been no no exception. Um, I realised that they're a real challenge. And um, I've learned to outsmart the dog in many ways. Uh, I think that was the way that I've I done so much uh, video of them. I've called up a lot of dogs. 
and shot a lot of dogs. And as I say, I've done three um, videos. And uh, in that time, like I've called up packs of dogs and didn't even shoot one of them. I got, got them on the camera, perhaps. I've called up others and uh, we've had them, yeah. So I had to do that, um, you know, a different way of hunting when I was, you know, using the camera. But the dog has been, been the greater challenge, Jason, by far. And how do you, with the doggy, you normally, as I said, uh, a lot of howling. Does that normally bring the dog in? Like, is it a territorial thing? Oh, I love the howling, yeah. Barbara and my wife and I, we couldn't drive anywhere out from here. We go we go out uh, for the day somewhere and come back towards dark or after dark. And I was stopping up the roads. And my, my wife now will tell you, we drive out to Somerset not long back. She said, oh, there's the, there's the ridge where you call those dogs that night, isn't it? And, we, oh, there's that gully where you call those dogs that night coming home. Yeah, I was I was hooked on it. I'd stop and um, just love to hear them howl. I'd give a howl and they'd howl up in the mountain, howl up the gully. And oh, I was, I've had packs of dogs howling and hear them running towards you howling. I've had them out, you know, sit out probably, I don't know, 200 metres away, walking around knowing that there's something wrong. Um, young dogs yapping and you yap like them and yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of that, when you when you normally going into an area, uh, are you like with the properties that you go to? Are you normally walking in, or do you normally got a four wheel drive or a motorbike? How are you getting into your fox, say your fox and dog stands? We have done both of them. I like I used to go in. I've got a four wheel drive, but used to drive in only only into the area. Like I used to go in and stay the night. Uh, but if we're going out for an evening, no, I leave the car well back. I leave the car just inside when you come in and. Walk like nothing to walk uh, three, four k's just to go into where you're going to shoot. Other time we can drive in a bit closer. Yeah, I would, you know, because I know that the gully's where the dogs are going to be. So you can drive in, but don't drive very closely with dogs, no. Yeah, no, that's all right. So let's say um, you've called in, say, a fox or a dog or, or something along those lines. And let, let, let's say he's, you know, sitting up there at about 100 metres and he, you know, he won't come in any closer. Do you normally... I mean, obviously, in regards to filming, it would be different. But do you do you normally take the shot, or do you try and coax him in closer with different calls and and try and get him in closer? Uh, when I see a dog sit up like that, I've got a pretty good idea that uh, if he's going to come or not, um, just by his mannerisms, you you pick that up when he's when he comes in. If he starts walking around, going to one side a bit, looking around, he's he's trying to get a look to see where you are or who you are or what you are. So there, as soon as you get a shot, take it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so I mean, at 100 metres, would you just obviously, you know, if you're presented with the shot, you'd take it? Oh, yes, yes, yeah, not a problem. Yeah, even fur, even further than that, I've, uh, yeah, well, we've shot a lot of dogs at further than that away because we've, we've, we've wanted to, uh, to shoot the dog, they were really causing problems, so I had to sort of bypass the camera a bit. So, I mean, let's say, I mean, you know, I'm a new hunter getting into, say, you know, calling foxes or even dogs. What's, say, you know, a few little, you know, bits of advice you'd be able to give, say, you know, a new hunter that can listen to this podcast and then, you know, maybe feel confident in going out and, and calling in, uh, say, either foxes or dogs? Well, I think the hunter, for a start, if he, if he knows from the property owner or the property that he's going on to that there are actually dogs there, um, of course, that was my motive of the night time with dogs. I'd go out and find where they were or early in the morning, if I stayed the night out there, uh, I'd give a call in the morning if it was very early, had a chance of calling up a dog. But if it got to the uh, to the hour of about nine or ten, and you give a call and you heard dogs up 
up on the ridge. They won't come back down. Very seldom they can't come back down. I have had an odd one come down, but very seldom. They're, they're back there because they've been out all night and that's where they're back. Thomas and I believe that they actually talk to you. They let one another know and they think that probably I'm another dog and I give a howl and they let one another know that that's where they are, they're, they're home. But I would be back there then the next evening about three o'clock uh, to know that that's where the dogs were camping. So then I would keep well back and then uh, it, was my, it would be my skill against theirs. But, um, yeah, sometimes you've got in the afternoon and you go out and uh, you think I'll get out there early and might go out at 2 or 2.30 and, and it's not out of the question to see dogs out then. They're probably looking for a bit of food. You walk onto them. But a dog is, um, yeah, he's very smart. He's much harder than the fox. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, what what sort of advice? Just getting out there and say calling, and um, you know, just just getting out there is that sort of advice you'd give to to someone that was new? Well, I think you need to look around and see the dog has got much. Uh, he looks for much different cover. Although I have seen dogs laying out sometimes in the scrub, but they they usually got a a place where it might be right up on a ridge or up a gully somewhere. But um, if I'm going into a property that I haven't been before, I wouldn't go too far into it before I'd give a call and I'm looking for an answer. Sometimes you don't get an answer, but a lot of times you will. Are you normally listening as well? Like obviously, you know, if you've got, say, the, as you said, the cow horn or the, the predator call, will you normally like give a howl and then wait for a howl back? I give a howl and I also, um, like the predator call, I interchange them a little bit. Sometimes I try to use the predator call maybe first, uh, imitating a calf in distress and um, I'll do that a couple of times and then I might give a, a call which I found very responsive then. I've believed in my heart that uh, a dog has um, acknowledged that I've got, a, I've got a kill and then you'll have a dog might, might come tearing straight down, come round to enter into the kill, you know. So I've tried to outsmart, I think I call one of my... Uh, my videos uh, hunting them out smart wild dogs and I think that I've tried all those sort of things to try and outsmart the dog. Tell us about a hunting story maybe one that you know either for good or bad something that sticks in your mind that you actually uh, remember and yeah just share a story uh, to finish off with uh, the listeners. Well I suppose with the dog hunting um, I was out with Thomas here locally where we are it was before he actually uh, left school and uh, I knew I'd taken um, about 42 dogs off this one property and and uh, we used to shoot an odd deer up there for a bit of meat we knew there was deer around and uh, we actually had had shot a deer previously about uh, several days beforehand and I said to Thomas that we might go back out that uh, afternoon when he came home from school and to see if um, there was any dogs around the carcass that we left after we got some meat off it and uh, so Thomas went and he said, I'll wait down here. And I said, I'll come in the other way and I'll see if there's any sign and then I'll give you a call. We either would call on the uh, little, little two-way or we would uh, give a howl. We had calling sign. We would howl to one another, you know. Anyhow, <laughs> he, um, he gave a howl. And uh, well, first of all, he called me on the radio and said, Dad, there's, a, there's some dogs fighting over the, uh, over the carcass. And I said to him, just wait where you are and I'll come around to you. He said, they're, they're, they're all fighting. They must be eating the carcass. So I came around, worked my way around the Thomas and uh, 
Now, when I got round near him, I said, now, look, we'll wait till these dogs, we'll give a call, and when these dogs come down, we'll wait on this side of the little gully here, and when they come down, we'll get a shot of them. And uh, don't shoot until they come down into the gully and come up this side. Anyhow, he gave one call, <laughs> and about eight of them come all tearing straight down. They were knocking the, you could, hear the, you'd hear the rocks rumbling as they left the carcass, came down fighting to, I believe that they thought that there was somebody like an opposition dog and was going to get into their food. And they came down so quickly, Thomas started shooting before they got down to where we we're going to come. And anyhow, they came down and we shot a couple, we picked up shooting four, but they, they come run down through the gully, right up right onto us, and Thomas run behind a tree, and I run the other way. We didn't know. He didn't know what they're going to do to us. He thought they're going to eat us. And anyhow, <laughs> then they took off, and he stopped there in amazement. And that was something that we that we never forgot. We uh, we brought two of them home on the little motorbike. We could fit two of them on. We came home and took photos of them, and that was something that we'll we'll never never forget. But it was just excitement of that uh, of the dogs coming down. Uh, you know, leaving their kill, and they honestly thought, I believe, that there was a dog in their territory. And of course, they came, they were all bristled up. They came down to kill this other dog, but that was a bit of experience. We've had that several times with the dogs doing that, but it was just one that we never forgot. No, no, that sounds fantastic. Uh, I'd probably say you were right. I reckon they might have thought, you know, it was another dog, and what's it doing in my territory? And what sort of call did you use then to uh, bring them in? Was it a howl? It was a howl, yeah. Yes, we just howled like the dog, yeah. And when I gave a howl, I think howling's been uh, been one of the our best uh, tools that we've used, just howling ourselves. There's no, when I say no specific way, I, I try and pick up various ways that I hear those dogs howling. Sometimes there'll be a, a long, drawn-out howl. Sometimes there'll be one drawn in and cut off quickly. And sometimes there'll be just a whoop like that. And that seems to, that stops a lot of dogs. But sometimes uh, the dog's coming up I just give that little bit of a wolf. I've noticed that some have been on their own coming towards me and they might be, you know, a thousand metres away and uh, they'll come halfway down and they'll give another little, they'll give a little wolf to see if they can pick up where I am. So I give another slight call and they'll come down a bit further and then they give another the same little wolf like that. And I believe it's uh, trying to get where I am. They think it's another dog and they're virtually saying, well, where are you? And um, so I've called up a lot of dogs in that area, like, once again, trying to outsmart them. You might have outsmarted them a bit too well. <laughs> yeah, well, it has been dogs that have out outsmarted us too in some ways. We've looked at Thomas and I have realised that um, we've seen dogs get up out of the side of the uh, the ridge and they've stretched their legs, which they've been camping there. And sometimes where we've known where the, the, they've been camping there, we've sort of come round and sort of expecting them to get up. And, uh, but other times you'll go around and they might already be up and about and uh, you'll look around and they're sort of, they've been up behind you and they're going right around you. They've spotted you and they're going around without saying a word and they're trying to get away that you won't see them. So they're on the, um, they're always elusive in that area. They've got to survive and I think that's their way of surviving too. Sometimes they, they walk onto you closely and they're back. I've seen foxes come in and uh, they've actually just backpedaled. They've uh, watched you, didn't take their eyes off you, just backpedaled, walked backwards, and then they've bolted. Oh, it was good, great having you on the uh, show today, Tom. So, I mean, uh, where can people, if they wanted to find you, say, on the internet or purchase your DVDs, how how can they do that? Well, I think email has been one of the best. I had calls today, people wanting um, 
you know, wanting to buy the DVDs and uh, the email is, uh, it's easy to find. It's uh, easystreet at bigpond.com, E-A-S-I-S-T-R-E-E-T -E at bigpond.com. Uh, that's probably a good way. Or the phone is 0754 241174. Uh, or the website. The website, as you quoted earlier, they go to the website and then they pick up the email there, of course. So uh, we have people just um, call often, either wanting the videos or the DVDs as they are now, and uh, also ask for a bit of information, a bit of a chat. Nice to hear from other hunters. Yeah, no, it was it was excellent having you on, your show, on, the, on the show today, and I'm sure... You know, a lot of people will, you know, listen to this and, you know, and ho hopefully enjoy it and get an, and get a lot from it. Uh, so I hope you have a good night, Tom, and uh, thanks for coming on again. We really appreciate it, and I uh, hope a lot of people will uh, listen to this and uh, we'll catch you around uh, very soon, Tom, and hopefully many more happy years of shooting for you and your family. Thank you, Jason. Thanks very kindly. So uh, I just say the same thing. It's just been great to share with you and maybe somebody can benefit by it. So cheers for now, my friend. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, brought to you by AussieUsedGuns.com.au, the premier classifieds of new and used firearm sales. Thanks for listening. See you next time.